Hey everybody, and welcome back to another episode of In Our 1990s, a podcast where we rank the alternative albums of the 90s, no matter what their genre, in the most objective order humanly possible, and we hope our dog doesn't bark over us constantly while we're doing it. I'm your host, Natalie, and with me as always is my co-host, Hadrian. And we have two more records this week. Yes. Yes, we they, do. They sure are two records. And I just you can tell from right from the start that this is going to be an episode. I would like to say, going into this, uh, previously the last two episodes, Natalie has chosen the albums that we listen to. And this time, I chose them. And in so doing, have broken the system. Going forward, we will each present an album each week, rather than leaving it up to one of us, because I am a devious sort. You... Well, let's uh, let's just get right into it. This week's albums are Eight Arms to Hold You by Veruca Salt and Resident Alien by Space Hog. And we're going to start off with Veruca Salt. And this album came out in 1997. It's by the somewhat known, but I wouldn't say tremendously famous, Chicago alt-rock band Veruca Salt. Um, and why don't you just talk a little bit about what uh, prompted you to choose this one? Well, it's because it's not the album with Seether on it. Uh, we will listen to that one too, but I feel Veruca Salt's a band that's known for that song and nothing else because Seether sounds a lot like, uh, only happy when it rains, garbage. So yeah, so, uh, Veruca Salt and garbage kind of were in the same sphere of like this woman doesn't sound very pleasant but it, this music is good and <laughs> i saw garbage live on tour with smashing pumpkins for the melancholy and the infinite sadness tour and shirley manson was a delight shirley garbage was right. by far the more fun and entertaining band that that day they both operated in the same sphere of just women who are musicians who don't sound like all the other women with their Fiona Apple Pianos? Like, yes, please. And so I wanted to do this album because I actually prefer Eight Arms to Hold You over there for, over the album with Seether on it, which I can never remember the title of. American Thighs is the yes, name of Yes, that that's probably why I can't remember it, because I don't like the name. <laughs> uh, <laughs> really, it's it's this This was the album I listened to most, because Shutterbug and Volcano Girls was more in my head than Seether. Yeah, um, those are definitely better songs than Seether. Yes. Seether's fine. I went. I hadn't listened to American Thighs in quite a while, so I, I went back and gave it a listen before this episode. Um, I do like that album better on the whole than, than this one, but I also think that the standout tracks on this one are probably better. It's just I think that the songs on that one are a little more distinct. Yeah, this this album is very much a, I put this on when I'm doing something, and I know I have a good 14 songs that don't feel like they're forever long to, like, clean the house to, or something like that. Yeah, I don't think any individual, uh, okay, no, that's not, I was, that's not true. I was gonna say I don't think any individual song on the record overstays its welcome. I do think that there are two that are a bit long. Uh, Benjamin is is a little too long. And um, what is the name of the other one? I have to look it up here real fast. Um, Loneliness is worse is the other one. That... Okay, yeah, I can, I can, I can get that. And th- those are Benjamin's four minutes, and Loneliness is worse is five minutes, which that's fine. I always, I 
I really like Stoneface. It's a, yeah. one of the shortest one of the shortest songs on the album, but it's it just hits and it's done uh, with David Bowie, which actually that ties into kind of why I picked this album. And <laughs> I had a feeling it might was because yeah, that song I enjoy because it sort of speaks to the greater problem with the 90s where david bowie was like i'm gonna make fucking space music because i can't deal with any of this but it's not the space music you are making mine is i would rather be in space with a drum machine than deal with any of this so i think what's kind of interesting about veruca salt is that they kind of sound a little bit like a lot of different bands Mm mm-hmm and it, it does turn out to be... I mean, they definitely have identifiable things that are theirs, like the muted strumming from Seether, and that comes back a few times on this album, but the, like, dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun, like, chuggy guitar playing. Yeah. Um, they're from Chicago, so they kind of inevitably sound a little bit like Smashing Pumpkins. They sound a little bit like Hole. They sound a little bit like Nirvana. They sound a little bit like Garbage. And it, it does come out to its own thing. Um, I don't think it comes out to something, to an incredibly strong identity. It, I mean, it's definitely like you know that you're listening to a Veruca Salt song, but I don't feel like they do anything that's just revolutionary. Honestly, my favorite thing about them is the vocals. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that they do a good job of sounding like they were inspired by Nirvana without being obnoxious about it yeah so uh their album after this is called resolver and the title for this album is the reference to the working title for the beatles film eventually titled help so they also have like a latter day beatles like vibe to them too so it's like the it's like the beatles by way of nirvana and that seems weird because when you say when you compare people to the beatles it's usually the spangly early beatles sound but no this is like revolver level like getting into that segment it, it's it's yeah. a rock album they're rock musicians and that's why they they came up at the same time as sort of like the later stages of grunge and they get classified as a grunge band but i tend to label them more along the the midwestern post-grunge scene because veruca salt and marcy playground both clearly came up around grunge and then just did their own thing with it yeah the musicianship is better than and that's the thing they're too they're 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 too good at playing their instruments yeah (laughs) and that's why i compare them more to smashing pumpkins on the whole than nirvana because they do go for that big kind of epic arena rock feel um you know there's there's obviously some poppier elements to it and some it's it's more like grunge in that way that it's it's hooky but it's hooky like like Boston is hooky more than most of the time, more than like Nirvana is hooky or it's, I mean, it it also sounds more like a celebrity skin era hole than, than like live through this era hole. Yes. And overall, I think Veruca Salt is a band that is functional rock where like, it's not offensive anyway. There are some interesting lyrics and musicianship but at the end, you could just have it playing on the radio, and you'd be like, yeah, I don't need to, I don't need to turn this Veruca Salt song off. And that's 
a lot because they, they write earworms, but they're not intrusive. Like you can have, I've had Shutterbugs like in my head the last couple of days. Yeah, that's that's one of my favorite, that may be my favorite song on the album. Uh, yeah, I mean, I like Volcano Girls more, yeah. but Shutterbug is very good. Yeah, those two are definitely like the two. <laughs> I like with David Bowie just because the, the lyrics are funny. Yeah, and it's, I mean, it's exactly what a song like that should be. It's two and a half minutes long. Yes. And that's the great thing is that they, they're songs that are short they have like a, a nice hook and then they're done. And that's that's knowing your instruments, it's knowing how to make music, but just being a good rock band. And they didn't they're they they're no longer together. They broke up in uh, 2012, but like of bands that like popped up in the 90s, like they did they survived longer than a lot of the bands in that same era. And I just am impressed with it. I I think it's worth a listen and Put it on your playlists. It's one of those albums that is quintessentially 90s in the way that it's composed and what where it came from. But it just functions. And I think there's a place for just functional rock music. Because the albums we've had so far aren't functional pieces when it comes to just background noise. I don't think. I think they're, they're, the tracks that stick out are just too sharp. And Veruca Salt's strength is that it kind of doesn't. Yeah. Um... I think that the first album hit that, strangely enough, it while being less of a huge production than this one, um, it, it's it somehow pulled out. Like it's it like I said it earlier, it's more memorable to me. Um, their tracks, like I felt like each song had more of its own identity, and that's something that I associate with, like. I mean, this is going to sound obvious as I'm thinking it, but, like, something I associate with the best bands of this era is, like, every song was very memorable in its own right, good or bad. Um, like, a, you know, I think about, like, Siamese Dream, and I'm going to keep comparing them to Smashing Pumpkins since they're both from Chicago and similarly classic rock inspired, but it, every song in that album is completely memorable to me and I, and I don't like every song on that album yeah yeah and American Thighs I just I can sit here right now and think of well okay I probably can't right now because I just listened to the to Eight Arms to Hold You but in general well, a week from now I'm gonna be able to I'm gonna find stuff off American Thighs a lot more memorable as a whole even though the production is not as shiny and the songs aren't as um aren't as well polished or, or well crafted um but is they just had something they had that that uh unnameable factor that that i i associate with 90s alt rock whereas this does sound a little bit more like alt rock has been assimilated more into the mainstream and it's become poppier and i it's not like a oh veruca salt sold out on this album or anything because that's a stupid way to think about it but they got much more polished and much poppier yeah and, it, and i think it's a, a testament to the strength of their strength as a band because this cannot be said for other bands that had a splashy uh, like debut album and then went on to do nothing of note because seether was such a big hit and that's the song people remember from veruca salt that whole that the uh, american thighs was this like splashy we are veruca salt album and then... Except that it's... Not the debut. Well, no. <laughs> yeah. Blow it out with your ass where Veruca Salt was the name of a later album. Yeah. Well, the thing is, 
a lot of bands in the 90s do not have a good follow-up album. They do not, they do not follow a good album with one that is a oh, yeah. nice cookie. Like, yeah, there are a million <laughs> alt-rock bands that either made one album and then, you know, that was it because it was all over or, you know, they completely sucked after that. <laughs> like, they barely had one good album in them. So this, yeah, that's why I picked this one because it's just like they're pretty good at what they do and they were, they continued to be pretty good at what they did throughout the 90s. Yeah, and I mean, we do have to fill out the list with stuff that's not going to necessarily be in com- in competition for the top spot on the <laughs> on the list. Um, yeah, I, I think that the best songs on this album, though, with the exception of Volcano Girls, are the ones that kind of mess with the formula more. Like Shutterbug is not a, a balls out like arena rock song by any any stretch of the imagination. It almost sounds like something that would be um and this could be an uh, like an electronic act like i'm thinking of like hoover phonic could mm-hmm. cover this song really easily and it would not sound out of place as electronica even though it's that's not how they arrange it on this album yeah and this their lyrics are always coming from a place of uh, authority there's an interesting like just confidence in the way that their songs are written that like a lot of women performers didn't have because it had to be very i i feel courtney love has the same level of commanding presence in her in the way that she presents lyrics and it's important and i'm not saying that like women don't have that presence i'm saying that in rock it tends to go like turns into like heart head songs that were very commanding and then they had songs that were so dreamy and pop compared to that yeah that it's like but Veruca Salt's like, no, we have one fucking speed, and we are gonna, <laughs> we are commanding as shit. Actually, if you've ever listened to the Tank Girl soundtrack, my favorite Veruca Salt song is on the Tank Girl soundtrack, and I don't think it was ever on an album. Um, it's called Aurora. And yes, it's, it's like a solo guitar and vocals piece, and it's gorgeous. But and it, still it does has... not sound a lot like Veruca Salt. <laughs> but it still has a commanding presence to it. I feel. I, I would not describe it as commanding, but it's very... I mean, it stole the fucking show on that album, for sure. <laughs> but yeah, no, um, that's... that's it don't have to hold you. It's like just a nice cookie. Yeah, I was going to say, too, I, I think something else that makes them stand out from other like female-fronted bands at the time is that they didn't really get into the feminist angle. Like, Hole came out of the same scene that made Riot Girl. And obviously had some of that same feminist, um, like, anger to them that, that Bikini Kill or, or, you know, Bratmobile had. Bratmobile with more of a sense of humor than either of the other two. But um, Veruca Salt just seems to not give a shit. And that's that's fine, you know. Like, I, I don't want you... There's nothing worse than an artist who sucks at being political being political. When I, and I think it's, it's a difference between feminist, feminism rising in action versus feminism in action so like riot girl is feminism coming up into what it will be and veruca salt is he like fuck you i'll do what i want yeah and like that's yeah. feminism in action it doesn't have to constantly bring things up but it's like if you listen to these lyrics and like you're very aware that like they mean business about what yeah they- and in a way though it is like the there's more of a straight line from like heart to veruca salt yes as opposed to heart then got turned into you know the punky 
uh, angry riot draw scene and then bands like Veruca Salt were able to, um, you know, I, I think that definitely whole, like they owe something to, to whole. Oh yes, definitely. Um, that, that they were in, that they were pushed as prominently as they were and maybe like even Sonic Youth to some extent, even though Veruca Salt sounds nothing like Sonic Youth. But. No, there's, there are other bands that we can talk about being more Sonic Youthy in the future. But yeah, I think it's an interesting like split, like what what bands went with Heart and what bands went with like the Cherry Bomb or the the, the yeah with the Runaways. The Runaways, yeah. Sorry, my brain always wants to be dyslexic about that, so <laughs> it's great. Yeah, so because I feel the Runaways directly influenced more of what Riot Girl turned into, yeah. than than Heart did, just like instrumentally being musicians and yeah so it's like just a nice v in music that that (laughs) went around pop music a flying v one might say yes if you're a guitar nerd yeah so um i am afraid that we're stretching here even though we haven't spent an incredibly long time on this we can can start fighting about where to put it (laughs) I don't know that we're going to fight. I'm going to, like, you You picked this one, so you tell me where you think it should go, and then we'll we'll discuss from there. Uh, I think it's the second best album of the 90s. Okay, so I would put this at number three behind What's the Story, Morning Glory. Um, and I would do that because I just, I think that Morning Glory had an ambition or a or a, preten- a pretense of, of like, we are the best band in the world that this album doesn't have. And I know my personal ranking on that is that I would listen to this album a thousand times over and I will never listen to What's a Story Morning Glory again. Yeah, I, I will listen to both, but I'm I'm just not as big a rock music fan as you are, so I'm, I'm I won't listen to either. <laughs> I don't think I'll li- I don't think I'll listen to either more than the other. Like they both have they both have really good points to them. Um, lyrically, obviously, Veruca Salt is much better. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, so it, I think we'd be remiss not to. One other thing to not bring this up is the, like you said, that they have Beatles influence, and part of how that influence comes through is the self-referential stuff that they do on this album. Like Volcano Girls, they literally like the the middle eight of that song is they break out into the seether, yes, uh, seether guitar chords and say you know here's another clue if you please the seether's louise which is obviously a direct reference to to the walrus was paul yeah and uh the song shutterbug is actually the the she in that song is pj harvey oh i did not know that yeah so that is that that part of the song is directed at pj harvey I, the one thing I don't like about that song is the line "You monkey, you left me." Yeah, like I don't... just say "you fucker" because it works. And they're obviously not afraid of swearing because they say "shit" multiple times in that song. So why did they not just say "you fucker, you left me"? I think it got a single release, and that's probably why it didn't have "you fucker, do, you left me." Do an album version and a single version. Yeah, yeah. No, I because all I could think of every time I listened to that song in the past week was this is what happens when you find a friend, find a stranger in the Alps. You but, monkey, you left me. <laughs> like, no. Just, this is the TBS censored version of the song. I'm, I'm tired of these... Monday to Friday snakes on this Monday to Friday plan. Or no, he says two different ones, but yeah, I don't remember what the other one is. I don't remember the, the end of the Monday to Friday plan is definitely the end of it. But yeah, it's that. It's that. Yeah. Or like in uh, Galaxy Quest, where Sigourney Weaver very clearly says, fuck that, and they overdub her saying, screw that. <laughs> yeah. 
Um, but yeah, I, I don't feel super strongly either way if this goes at two or three. Um, I, I think it's I, like I don't think it's a travesty to put it at number two. I personally think Morning Glory is a better album, but again, it's not so much better that like, I mean, honestly, the only difference to me is that Morning Glory just has that attitude of of we're the best fucking thing going, and I think that like that's something that I I like in a record. Yeah, but I think this this album is just functionally better like there are not songs that i have to just turn the fuck off there are not lyrics besides you monkey you left me <laughs> that make me want to just die inside. yeah but that's one lyric in the whole album as opposed to Dude. she's electric oh entire songs <laughs> but that, that was really my argument for number two because it's yeah. like i think they're kind of tied yeah i i think it's very fair to say they're tied and like i said i'm not gonna fight super hard my 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 whole argument is just that I wish that this album was a little more, had a little more swagger than it does for for this kind of big arena rock feel that they're going for. I, I don't think outside of Volcano Girls that it really ever quite hits that attitude. Or maybe, like, Awesome might, might hit that too. But yeah. I also respect the hell out of it as we get into the next album in a few minutes <laughs> that, that this album knows i think it's too long i think that you could cut benjamin i think that you could cut whatever the, the other song was i said earlier that i didn't like very much but none of the songs that are there are like this song should have been like a minute and a half shorter two minutes shorter oh, like yeah. they're all they're all the right length it's just some of them weren't really good enough to not just have been b-sides um but yeah so like i i do think that morning glory is better but it's like a hair better than than this so if you want to put it at number two i'm not gonna not gonna argue too much i think i think i think it's good at number two because there's gonna be so much that's gonna get in between them yeah yeah eventually so we'll put uh eight arms to hold you as the second best album of the 90s right now (laughs) okay yeah and i think that this is the week where like we probably have enough albums that we don't necessarily have to go back through the whole list every time, mostly because I'm not sure I can do it off the top of my head for much longer. I have it written down. Oh, you have the... Okay, so you you read the list this time. All right, so, so far, the best album of the 90s is, is The Philosophy of Momus by Momus, and now the second best album of the 90s is Eight Arms to Hold You by Baruch Assault, followed by What's the Story, Morning Glory by Oasis. Then Monster by R.E.M. and then Manscaped by Wire. Wow, that doesn't seem like enough albums. Well, there's one more we haven't discussed. True. All right, let's take a break and I'm going to steal myself and then we're going to come back and talk about Space Hog. It is time to talk about album number two for this week, the 1995 debut album from Space Hog called Resident Alien. And once again, I'm gonna going to defer to Hadrian on this one since he picked it, and you just uh, go off on this and talk a little bit about it. Well, first off, I'm not sorry. Secondly, the Space Hog is a weird band so they're brothers two of them are brothers royston 
Royston. Royston! And <laughs> Anthony Langdon. And they are from... They're from Yorkshire, but they formed the band in in New York City. So they're technically classified as a British, like, neo-glam band, but were formed in New York City. You know, like a glam band. Um, <laughs> they, they say that T-Rex was one of their main influences, but we know... That's bullshit. Yes, that is thoroughly bullshit, because at least Mark Bolin could play his instruments. There's one song on this album that sounds like T-Rex, and it was the very last song on the album. It it very very T Rex lyrics, so let me let me mosey on over to the the track listing here. Say Royston again. <laughs> Shout out to Jim Sterling. Yes. All right, so this album is a we love David Bowie because we're fucked up on David Bowie. Space, space, space. Let's queer bait this album in space. Yeah. Oh God, there's just so much, so much on this album. So, let's be honest. David Bowie is the only influence this band has. Oh, absolutely. Because Royston is very clearly... Doing a terrible David Bowie impression the whole time. He is the Darius Rucker of David Bowie impersonators. <laughs> he oversings so fucking badly through this whole album. Which is why Anthony actually sings uh, Space Hog and Space in the, Space is the Place. No, Space Hog is fucking terrible. That song is embarrassed that song should not be on a major label record oh space hog it's so bad it's such a bad bar band joke song <laughs> that like why did nobody stop them because that so that is a good that's a good question because i want to discuss some of the stupidity of this album being incredibly popular so before we get into the listings this album received a five, a four-star rating from AllMusic, a 7.6 out of 10 from Pitchfork Media. The, the number one single, In the Meantime, was the theme song for various movies and TV shows, including a David Spade's stand-up special in 1998, a BBC football sh uh, like news show... That song does not sound like it should be in a, in a football program. So it's. <sighs> I can see it like going to commercial. I guess it's it's definitely not like a football anthem. It's not an no. anything anthem. No, and so it's like it, this song has been in both Guitar Hero Five and Rock uh, in Rock Band Three. Never Coming Down Part Two was in D Three. The Mighty Ducks. <laughs> uh, it's like uh, no, numerous TV shows used other songs from the album they became weirdly fucking famous almost out of nowhere and it's that's i like i like that juxtaposition with how much you did not like this album with yeah. how stupidly popular they were like i don't remember this being popular like i remember but it wasn't popular with you it was popular with famous people because yeah, like they became like... friends with like uh, Joaquin Phoenix, like uh, Anthony Langdon is in that "I'm Still Here" documentary, because he's a friend of Joaquin Phoenix. Like Royston married I feel like Liv you Tyler. Had to have been on a lot of drugs to like think this was okay. <laughs> so let let's be let's be honest here. I'm gonna list the songs that I think are good. In the meantime. 
Space is the place. Cruel to be kind. The last dictator. Zeros and to be a millionaire. I'm going to list the songs that I don't want to skip when I listen to it, which is In the Meantime and To Be a Millionaire until the fucking 20 minutes of silence that before a pointless, the band going for like a minute and a half before the album ends. Why? Why did you fucking waste my time? <laughs> I mean, obviously I didn't sit there and listen to the whole 20 minutes because... I, so the first time I listened to this album, I hated it way more than the second time I listened to it. And when I got to To Be a Millionaire, I was I, as that song started, I was like, how much fucking longer is this album? <laughs> and I looked at Spotify and I saw that this track was 22 minutes long. And I literally said, oh, fuck off to Spotify and turned it off. And I had to wait a week to come back to it. So In the Meantime is a good song. I think Starside is a good song. Yeah, it's a good song. And it's I think very... To Be a Millionaire is is a good song. I think The Last Dictator would be the best song on the album, except it is the absolute worst of his Bowie equivalent of I have seen like this, like fucking Darius Rucker or Eddie Vedder does. <laughs> it, like, it is in fucking sufferable, his voice on that song. And also, he, that's where he, you know, we talked, we gave Michael Stipe shit for his forced falsetto on Tone. It is a thousand times worse on that song. Anytime Royston, the fucking Ponce, tries to do forced falsetto, it's just it, embarrassingly bad. It, it is seriously, there are so many things on this album that I'm like, who let this happen? She's so mad, y'all. She's so mad. <laughs> it's so, it's such a bad, <laughs> I don't give a fuck about major labels or like, this has to be, you know, pop sheen. Again, like, I like noise rock. I, I like experimental music. I like when you try something and it fucking goes wrong. But not this. This is so, this is somebody just not being good. It's not trying something and it goes wrong. It's you don't deserve to be where you are. Oh, they don't. They fucking don't. Like, look, I love, I love "Cool to Be Kind" because that was a very just '90s anthem. I heard. I first heard this album in the '90s, so I was like 11 years old, being like, "Yeah!" And also, 11 year an 11 year old probably shouldn't have had this album, but. <laughs> This was my junior year of high school, and I remember hearing in the meantime, like, by that time I had my own income and was buying my own music, so I didn't have to rely on the radio at all to find stuff, and also, I feel like 95 is where that was the end of there really ever being anything on the radio that I was going to like that much. Mm -hmm. Um... I remember my CD player dying, and I had to go a week while I waited on a new car CD player. And, like, every time I'm Just a Girl would come on the radio, it was a fucking oasis of wonderful magic. Like, that's how, how bad the <laughs> the radio music scene was in 1995-96. And, and I would hear in the meantime and be like, yeah, this is alright. This is fine. And that's, like, the best this album gets is, yeah, this is fine. It's it's better than anything else on the radio in 1995. I feel we have to talk about Candyman and Leading Into Space is the place. So I Candyman is also fucking garbage. I completely forgot about Candyman. And then I when I was listening to the album, this, like, fucking Dave Matthews-ass song starts playing. And I'm like, what am I listening to? Did the album skip? No, no, no. This just sound So it's... I, forget, I think it's, it's referencing... I don't remember who it's referencing. You can look it up. I don't care. Because it's not worth it. 
But it's a bad song. It's just a bad, a bad song. But then, at the end of the song, I think it's, I don't know who is speaking. It's like, I think it's another member of the band is speaking. Yeah, I think it's maybe Johnny Craig? Johnny Craig? Yes. Fucking come on. And the other member of the band is Richard Steele, so Yorkshireman. So, <laughs> I don't think that he was. Anyway, there's a, a open your, so- your hymnals to blah 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 page where they talk about the next song is going to be about homosexuality and brothers. Oh god, yeah, okay. I, I, I had to bring it up. And then, so in Space is the Place, just because you kiss your brother doesn't mean to say you're gay. Even though you're fucking him, it doesn't mean you don't love me. Who is this song addressed to? Yeah. Who is this song addressed to? Who is this song for? I mean, I like it, but... <laughs> what is it trying to say? I, because oh, that's the thing. It's like... the. They, it's like they listened to David Bowie and they were so fucked up. They were like, oh, David Bowie queer baited everything. We should queer bait everything. I was like, David Bowie didn't queer bait shit. David Bowie just existed in a void of queerness. This is two straight boys fundamentally misunderstanding why glam rock was queer. And even though I like this song, it is with a, a deep loathing in my soul because it is bringing up topics that are obnoxious and proliferate porn. And it's just like, they don't understand what queerness is. It's like, um, I I won't name drop, but a a friend of ours who does another podcast said of, of something, this is bad gay representation, but I still like it. And I think that's valid. Like there are definitely things that I feel that way about. Not this song, but I think that you could say that about this song is it's oh, yeah. it's bad gay representation, but I still like it. I mean, I, at the time this this album was at all important in my life, I was going through some shit and would just cling to anything that was vague queer representation because I needed that shit, and that's that's why I felt it was important to pair this with that Veruca Salt album because they both referenced David Bowie in different ways and everyone was fucked up about David Bowie. Yeah. I mean, even Nirvana covered The Man Who Sold the World. That is the worst cover of that song that has ever existed and if you want to defend it, come fight me. No, I don't. It's it's bad. No, no, no. That was was me issuing a call. If you want to fight me, come here because I will fight you hate that song so fucking much. I, I mean, even, I'm, I not cra- even, I'm not crazy about Bowie's yeah, version like either. Bowie song. Just, that, was, that might be the reason I don't like Nirvana very much, honestly. That was one of the very first Nirvana songs I ever heard. So. <clears throat> I mean, the reason I don't like Space Hog very much is... if So A, if you gave them a different singer, it would be better. It still wouldn't be very good, but someone who is not doing a, a really bad David Bowie impression would be better. But it's just, people talk so much shit about Oasis for being, you know, the Beatles are our only influence. And that's that's not true. I mean, it's a good joke, but and, and they certainly played into it. But, like, they had other influences. This band does not have other influences. This band, and they don't even, 
Ziggy Stardust is the only Bowie album they've ever heard based on this. I mean, like, do you detect any, you know, Diamond Dogs or Aladdin Sane influences or anything else from from that period? Like, it's just, it's so one note. Every song sounds like post-grunge Ziggy Stardust. Yeah, they say they have some Queen and some Queen influences too, and I'm gonna go ahead and say there's a little bit Queen in there. There's a little bit Freddie, but it's Freddie by way of a bad Bowie impression. It's fine. Yeah, um. <laughs> yeah Freddie. I mean, you know, say what you. There's plenty you can say about Freddie Mercury, but like, he's a real good singer. Oh or yeah, was a real good singer, and I I actually liked Queen, so. I, I will not disgrace them by comparing them to this. Oh, God. Who was that guy that sounds exactly like Freddie Mercury that was really popular like 10 years ago? Anyway, but it's not important. We can skip that part. Uh, but yeah, no, I mean, after I, I picked this one, because I hadn't listened to the album in a good five years um, before, I, I just like, uh, I want to do that Burke Assault album, and I guess Space Hog. And I'm not sorry that I did this to you. <laughs> I think I proved a point. I mean, it had to be done at some point. Well, this was sort of my revenge for Manscape. This is... I don't even know how to process that. I bring a fucking glitter nuke to any situation in which I need to feel... (laughs) But it's... It's just not even... It's not even campy. No, it's really not. It's, it's, It's so straight. It's such straight fucking glam rock. Just so aggressively cishet glamour. And it's so hilarious because, like, uh, the Cockney Rebel was really fucking, like, cishet about shit. But even then, they managed to make some good songs. Like, you can't listen to Mr. Soft and not think that there's a little twinge of queerness up in there. But... I mean, the the only song on this album where they even, like, play to that is Space is the Place. And then it's just like, well, that's our obligatory queer baiting song now we don't have to address that topic ever again well there's actually another line uh let's see let's see there's a reference where the guy says everyone is bent towards the end of the album yeah i mean i don't even know that that never coming down part two that that necessarily is a reference to to queerness. In no, that case. it's like, supposedly a reference to the Italian job. Yeah, but so, but it could be taken as a, a queer baiting line. Yeah, if you're feeling generous, which I, I mean, <laughs> obviously in, I'm not <laughs> by by the standards of 1995. Yeah, no one really, no one really got it because they had already straight washed Freddie Mercury to shit by this point. Yeah, so I mean, and that was the problem with them, and that's. The, the the AIDS epidemic just fucking destroyed nuance when it came to queer media. Oh, yeah. I mean, the 90s was like a terrible time for gay men and media. Like, yeah. I mean, at least lesbians got Riot Girl. Like, I mean, like you couldn't hide, you know, L7. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, some of the more, even though, like, as far as I know, most of the Riot Girl bands were actually pretty straight. But they, they at least... It's, we're accepting and and like acknowledging of this other side of of things and and you know like you can criticize Kurt Cobain for some of this too because he talked a lot about you know 
about my gay friends. But I mean, at the time, that was really cool that he was out there saying, like, if you're a homophobic motherfucker, don't buy our records. He, he didn't have to pretend that he was gay or queer at all. Um, he was. But, but, but I, I mean, I feel like the line, God is gay on Nevermind, like, is so much better queer representation than anything on this album. Oh, yeah, yeah. And not to straight watch Kurt, Kurt Cobain because he wasn't straight. So, yeah, this album is just busted ass neo glam that almost ruined all of neo glam. <laughs> but it didn't. But it, you'll rest assured that they got dropped by their label. Not after this album. This album went gold. But after their second album that got dropped. I mean, it, I think it, it went gold off in the meantime. Oh, absolutely. That that song blew the fuck up for no reason. And it's an okay song. I think Cruel I mean, to Be Kind is a better song. Because it was better than most of what was on the radio in 1995. Yeah. I think Cruel to Be Kind is a better song. I cannot even remember which song that was. It sounds point, almost exactly like in the meantime, just slightly <laughs> faster. So they have one song. And they made it slightly faster for the other version. I don't know, this album's not complete shit. A lot of it's shit, but it's not complete shit. It's, even with a better singer, it wouldn't be great, but it would be listenable for the most part. It, it really, like, when I, listening to it the second time, it really is his voice. that I, I just, he oversings to an embarrassing extent. Just, and to no to no purpose. I mean, like the the comparison to Darius Rucker was, you know, that was intentional because think about. I mean, there were some singers. We're gonna have to deal with some singers on this show who oversing, and I'm specifically thinking about Dolores O'Riordan from the Cranberries. She fucking oversing. Ooh, did she? But when she oversing, I'm not saying it didn't suck. Zombie is fucking terrible. But mm. she was trying to say something when she was over singing. And this guy, like Darius Rucker, like Eddie Vedder most of the time, like any anybody in that vein of grunge singer, like uh, fucking Gavin Rossdale from Bush, all those people overseeing for no reason. They're not making a point. They might... I've, Darius Rucker thinks he is being emotional when he does it. I'm sorry. I've watched a video about Hootie and the Blowfish earlier. I've got him on the brain. Uh, he he was he was wrong, but he thought he was doing something good. I think some people just can't fucking help themselves. I think Dolores O'Riordan couldn't help herself half the time because she ruins songs with her over singing, especially on later stuff. This guy just. I didn't hear a single part where he needed to do what he does. Yeah. David David Bowie didn't fucking do this shit. No, David David Bowie. Okay, now I'm a I'm a be. You're gonna defend David Bowie from, uh, or you're gonna attack I'm, David I'm, Bowie I'm, and I'm gonna, gonna defend him. That I'm is gonna say some some that some, is insane. Some mess. I never thought I'd see the day that this happened. There is. Some Bowie out there, in which he is either deeply inebriated, or just doing his own fucking thing, where you go, hmm, David, maybe don't. And sometimes it works, like in the 
story Brian Eno says about David just going in there, making noises into a microphone, <laughs> yeah. and layering them, and it coming out sounding amazing. Those experiments work. And then there is some stuff he did in the later 90s. I'm just like, you could just not, and we could all go home. Yeah, there's, and I'm going to completely blank on it now that I'm trying to think. It's something from the, like, I'm afraid of Americans era Bowie that he he did some. Uh, actually, no, this would have been earlier than, than that. It was something on the Lost Highway soundtrack where mm-hmm. he kind of... He does overseeing a he overseems a little. Yeah, he, he but doesn't overseeing to the maximum amount on every song because he had a good ass voice, and that's the thing is that like, I think Royson's trying to because if you listen to the, what the stuff Anthony sings, Anthony sings, he doesn't have the same his voice is just his voice, and he does like spaces of places is affected, but it's not as affected as the songs that Royston sings, and I get it. He didn't have a very you're coming in out of a scene where, like, Jarvis Cocker has a very distinct voice. David Bowie has a very distinct voice. Uh, Billy Corgan has a very distinct voice. You want to have some affectation to make your voice distinct. And then he's like, well, what if I do a David Bowie? And I was like, well, that's not the way to do it. <laughs> you can have affectation. It's fine. Everything's better with a little bit of affectation. But I get it. And again, I'm not sorry because I had to listen to Manscaped. God, I don't know how you can compare the two. Like, I admit that Manscape is like the worst Wire album, and it still is. And a bad uh, miss. I still would not call it a bad album. It's just past their prime. This is this should be their prime. And it it's, was. It's well, yeah. I mean, it, I feel like David Bowie used space as a metaphor. I mean, he was real fucked up on wanting to go to space early on. Like, he, like, like straight up. Space oddity. He wanted to go to space. And he was doing that in a time before actual... He was starting to think of these things before spaceflight became more of a realization for many more people than the few flights that had occurred. And so he grew up in a time... Where we're like, we're going to put a man on the moon. He's like, hell yeah, we are. And then, oh, fuck, we did it. I'm British. And <laughs> yeah, you didn't do it. <laughs> Russia and America did. <laughs> exactly. So England was just like, well, fuck it. We didn't do it. But the combination of science fiction films and Little Richard equals <laughs> David Bowie. <laughs> And that's an important, that's a, that's a heady mixture. Like, imagine existing as a small child when, like, 1950s science fiction was, was like, popping up. Like, and then Little Richard happens across your, your radio one day, and you're just like, my whole mind is shifted. <laughs> it's the same what happened to David Bowie in that moment. Happened to all these people who try to be David Bowie now. I don't, I just, I don't think it did, though. Like, I feel like when David Bowie... Saying about space, it's like Momus singing about Japan. It's not, it's like, yes, Momus is a Japanophile, but he's also using it as a way to get at something else, something that's like more true to the human experience, whether it be, you know, sand in the Vaseline about sexual matters or identity or privacy or whatever he's trying to say something and david bowie was doing that i think with space 
En Space Hog said, you know how David Bowie sang about space a lot on a couple of albums? What if that was our whole thing and also cheesy aliens? Let's make space fucky. Like, it's just, there's nothing, it's so shallow. Oh yeah, no, it's a shallow album, and that was the problem with Neoglam, which is why it didn't last very long. I mean, there are bands now that, like, they're not even a band anymore, but like Louis the Fourteenth and uh, I would say the Fratellis and a few other bands like approach this like all the bands that you got shit on for liking when we were at the radio station. Well, they everyone is wrong. I am correct. I have been correct this entire time. That one Louis the Fourteenth song's really good. That whole uh, look, <laughs> Louis Fourteenth is real fucking good. But anyway. And the Fratellis are what, I mean, they're jock jams, but they're like good jock jams. But it was jams. like, it was a, there was a neo-glam sort of like, Space Hog killed neo-glam and then neo-glam came back up through, uh, like the, that wave of Britpop. That's was, a different decade. Was there neo-glam when Space Hog happened? They're neo-glam. This oh, is... I know, but was there anyone else? Yes. There's a whole thing that we'll talk about. At that time. I, I mean, I know there was neo-glam in like. Early 2000s, post Franz Ferdinand. Well, so there was, there's a whole thing, <laughs> and there are other albums, which we will have to discuss at a later date, because this is a whole thing. So, yes, is the answer. So, want to rate this bitch, or what? Can I put it at number 50,000? No. Just fill in the blanks later? Nope. That's I mean, not the rules. It's it's... Last place with a bullet, in my opinion. Like, I don't think this comes within a hundred miles of Manscaped. And this is one of those situations where I was gonna be, I was gonna be a dick about it, but I'm, you were nice about eight arms <laughs> to hold you. Because that's a good album. It is a good album. <laughs> this is this album offended me. I know because I heard like so. We 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 own our house, but our walls are not super thick, and sometimes when Natalie is frustrated, I know. Because I hear the sighs, I hear the creaking back as she leans in the chair. I I hear the aside as she turns to our dog and disparages Space Hog. <laughs> I knew. I knew the moment, the moment she turned this album on, that it was going to be a real fucking ride. Space Dog by Tori Amos. That's a good song. Oh, God. This has been all week, by the way. This has just been the whole week. We've had this fight since <laughs> last Monday. Passive aggressive shots at Space Hog. <laughs> but you notice I've not let Manscaped go, so. It, right. You no, know, you haven't. And no, because I was insulted. Manscaped's a pretty good album. It's pretty good. Mm-mm. It's it's not better than pretty good. It's pretty good. So this you're... album is never mind, I'm not gonna say what as crude a thing as I was thinking. This is a very bad album. See, so when I originally had it listed, I had it listed above Monster. And uh, she know. would have killed me. I, I would I would fight you. To On the, the moon, would you say? Would you take me to space? ends of the earth. I would shoot you into space. Space fight? And I think Monster's a bad album. <laughs> but there it agrees. Monster has legitimately good songs on it. And I think this also has legitimately good songs on it. That's a stretch. Look, in the meantime, cool to be kind, to be a millionaire, like, those songs are objectively okay. Yeah, okay, not good. 
Together they make a good song. You notice how I didn't pluralize songs, I said song. You know it's a great song? Torch It. You know it's a better song than anything on Monster or Resident Alien? Torch It. Gosh. I told I've already, you, I've I told al- you our first episode caused lasting harm to, to the show. <laughs> yes, as... Because I the... thought you would like Manstein. <laughs> and you were incorrect. I knew you were going to like this album, and I was correct. Because I am correct. All of this <laughs> is incorrect. <laughs> and so I am I'm going to acquiesce. And Resident Alien is the worst album of the 90s. Yeah, and it's... I can think of one album off the top of my head that will rank... That I would rank well below Resident Alien. Well, no spoilers. Oh, I don't know if I can even do that album for the show. It's I hate it so much. It's 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 like a last episode somewhere down the road when we is decide that, we is can't that, do that this. Is that that album that I discovered is actually in the 90s? no no it's it's uh, an album by the Frogs. Ah, uh, you're gonna do that Muse album. I mean, I'd rather do that than the, than the Frogs album. I'm thinking. <laughs> <laughs> so, so yeah, that that was a good rant. I should say. I say. <laughs> it was a very articulate rant, Vivian. Let's <laughs> reference some good British culture. Spurns. <laughs> but, yeah. So, because I'm a monster person, we have changed the format for the show. Because I can be so caustic, I can change formats. <laughs> right, so going forward. Going one, forward. One album from each. Originally, the idea was just... If you if you're feeling something, say it, and and we're, nothing's too set in stone, and then you fucking went and picked Space Hog, and well, also I thought I I thought I didn't like Eight Arms to Hold You because I'd only listened to it once and it just made no impression on me, and so when you said these are the two albums, I was like, oh great, one album that's gonna bore the shit out of me and one I'm gonna actively dislike. No, Eight and then it turns out that I was wrong about. Whatever shit I was going through when I listened to Eight Arms to Hold You, I was like, "Oh no, this is this is good. This is." I think I think I just I just committed an act of audio terrorism on you with with Space Hog, and that you just hadn't recovered yet. <laughs> but no, I'm I'm glad we did. I mean, we have to do the bad albums too. It, it's not just ranking the best. You know, it's not ranking the albums we like. Look, this is this is still just like a blue raspberry. Jolly Rancher for me. I'm gonna eat it. And see, I hate blue raspberry. <laughs> mm, see, just you, you just didn't exist in the '90s. I existed in because everything. No, was because blue I was I was in my late teens and, and you were a kid, so. So everything was blue raspberry. Yeah. I dressed up as the as the Riddler for Halloween, marking a a, a strange precipice of my life. <laughs> and meanwhile, I was in college being like, you fuckers, Nami Amro is great. Why isn't she on the radio in America? <laughs> I was like a shitty BTS fan before anyone else in the state that we live in knew what J-pop was. I guess uh, I know BTS is K-pop, okay. Yes. Also, we need to issue a correction. Oh, yes, yes. I meant to do this up front, but, you know, whatever. We'll do it. Somewhere in the show. I said uh, last week when we were talking about Momus that his brother was in the band Delamitri. And it is actually his cousin, Justin Curry, who is in Delamitri, not his brother. So 
Um, feel free when we get things factually wrong and, you know, not you said that Resident Alien is a shit album and it's actually good. That's that's not a fact. Um, <laughs> but yeah, tell us in the comments if you're on YouTube or, well, I don't, I don't want to give you an email address right now. So go on YouTube and tell us in the comments. And we, we do try our best to get the facts straight. But I was going off the top of my head when I said it was his brother that was in Dolomitri. And yeah. And, and then, I was wrong. And I'm dyslexic. I just want to say that. And I have a kind of uh, dyslexia that makes it difficult to arrange word orders also when I'm speaking. So sometimes I'm just going to say the wrong word or I'm going to say the wrong shit. And I want to apologize for that up front and don't have to correct that because I know. <laughs> yeah. And people being shitty about that are just pedants. And, you know. Well, I was <laughs> I was laying the ground rules and say explaining my business. <laughs> yeah. Madam. There's a, there's a big difference between me getting brother and cousin wrong and just not knowing. Not, yeah, that but wasn't my, my fuck-ups are like, I'm trying to say Luke Cage and I say Nick Cage. Like, that's the level of, yeah. like, my brain is well, just that's, like... Well, that's just wishful thinking that, you know, swap those two out every now and then. Uh, put put Luke Cage in, in The Wicker Man and... and <laughs> but it's, it's... Have Nick Cage fight Hydra. But there is an email address you can send stuff to. Uh, it's hadrianflight at luciferslarder.com. Uh, I check that one. It goes to a Gmail business account that eventually I'll have access to again. So for now, you'll be screaming into a void. But it will eventually be checked. <laughs> and we are on Stitcher now, by the we way. We are on Stitcher. So if you want to subscribe to this this podcast, finally, it took a couple of weeks, but... Um, yeah, now you should be able to find it at least if you're listening to listening on Downcast or, or something that's not the iTunes app, you should be able to find it that way. And I'm still working on getting this on iTunes. It is a terrible process. Yes, and I'll if you look for Lucifer's Larder on Twitter, I will post links to our RSS feed, which you can open up on your, your smart device of choice and it will load into your podcast app. It does it on iOS for sure, and I believe it does it on Android phones as well. All right, so let's read off that list of the albums one more time. Did you read it off since we added this one? Uh, no, I just said that Resident Alien was the worst album of the 90s. Okay, yeah, let's read the complete list off, and then we'll wrap things up. All right, number one, The Philosophy of Momus. Number two, Eight Arms to Hold You. Number three, What's the Story, Morning Glory. Number four, Monster. Number five, Manscape. And the sixth and worst album of the 90s is Resident Alien. Manscape's not the worst album of the 90s anymore, finally. I have won a small battle. Mm. Space is the place to put Royston so you never have to hear him sing again. Royston! <laughs>